Bruce Wayne. And what do you do for a living? <laughs> Lieutenant, is there a six-foot bat in Gotham City? Nice outfit. Given a name to my pain. What are you? I'm Batman. Get those wonderful toys. My life is really complex. Wing freak terrorizes. Wait till they get a load of me. Welcome back to Pop Culture Historians. I don't even have time for a funny intro or th- thematic intro at all this week. I only have time to say that I'm Ryan Ritter. That's Jimmy McShane. We're the Pop Culture Historians. Jimmy, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. How are you doing tonight? Good. Uh, big, a big, big, big episode this week. Um, kind of a flashpoint uh, movie in the superhero genre we're talking about tonight. Uh, and kind of the... The season finale-ish of this run of our episodes on the superhero genre in general. Uh, We will have an awards episode next week, but this is the last movie we're talking about for at least the next couple months. And that movie, of course, is Batman 1989. Uh, You know, its reputation, you know, know, it's, it's stellar. It's maybe one of the first, I won't say first, um, I almost said first blockbuster. Of course, that title probably goes more like Jaws or Exorcist or Star Wars. Star but... Wars was like the first. Oh, no, it was Jaws, right? It was Jaws that was the first blockbuster. Yeah. Jaws and Star Wars were kind of the first two, like, we can, we can just put these movies in on the summer and really, you know, get broad appeal for the masses. But I would argue Batman's probably the first, like, modern blockbuster in the sense of it was heavily marketed. Um, that's something that they uh, talk about a lot. Uh, I have this uh, DVD that has like special features on it. You know, a DVD with special features on it. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. <laughs> They're great. Um, but yeah, one of the things they talk about it is one of the most like brilliantly marketed movies of the time because you couldn't go, you couldn't turn your head anywhere in the summer of 1989 without seeing someone with like a Batman shirt on. And I feel like that is something that kind of carries over to this day, maybe in different ways, but yeah. that kind of advertising. Absolutely. Quality. Yeah. And that's but a lot we, of confidence for, for at least people coming to see this movie too, which, which says a lot. Yeah. And it's interesting. Uh, I can't, I, uh, maybe we should back up and uh, reset just a little bit. Of course, the, the subtitle of this pod of episodes, the series of episodes was from Batman to Batman. We started with <laughs> Batman in 1986. Now here we are at 1989. And I don't mean the Taylor Swift album. I just mean the year. Uh, lots, of, lots has changed for Batman. Um, yes. <laughs> it was really fun. The first thing I want to start right from the jump here 
is again, I watched these special features because uh, I had a little time to do so. And what they keep talking about, and what's <laughs> that can't be reputation of that Adam West, you know, Burt Ward series. It was kind of the specter that was cast over the Batman franchise into like the 70s. This movie was born out of an attempt to make like a dark, gritty, grounded Batman, which kind of feels like it's the pursuit of all Batman movies ever since. Well, certainly not all Batman movies ever since, but go on. Well, yeah, maybe not like Lego Batman. <laughs> um, but what's funny about that, you know, we're going to have lots of time to talk about this as we kind of keep hitting these Batman movies as we go. <laughs> I just caught up to what you were referring to. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's very funny to me. It's, it's that, that comment stuck out to me. Because this movie feels like it has like its, its foot firmly in like two versions of Batman. I feel like there's like these little nods and homages to like that kind of 60s camp. And also this kind of like more dark gothic kind of version of Batman. And it's funny to me like that's what reads as like dark and gritty for 1989. I don't know if that stood out to you at all. Well, I didn't watch the special features that you did. So, um, but it, I mean, it was, it's, I mean, it's very Tim Burton. It's dark in a whimsical way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and I think I think that fits the character well. And it's, if I'm being honest, it's kind of a tone I'd love to go back to. Um, yeah, totally uh, agree. You know, it was interesting. I I, I watched uh, the um, Robert Pattinson Batman. On the same week, I watched this one just because it was my first opportunity to watch the Robert Pattinson Batman. It was it was interesting to like compare like how humorless that Robert and Pattinson Batman is. Not necessarily saying it's a bad movie, but just like compare. It's so humorless and like grounded. Where this one's dark and it's more serious, but there's humor to it, and it's not it's not a grounded movie at all. And I yeah, I, I kind I of call it grounded at all. <laughs> And I kind of hate that we feel the need to make Batman this grounded character. Um, and I'm not saying you can't do that and it's bad because I did enjoy the Christopher Nolan trilogy, but I wish that wasn't like, I, I love how like fantastical Batman's villains are and how fantastical Gotham City is in this movie. And I hate that now Gotham City is just Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. We haven't gotten there yet, but I always like, in the uh, the jump from uh, Gotham City and Batman Begins, which is, I wouldn't call it Tim Burton esque, but I feel like there's like kind of this vision of it like being like the city of the future, and there's kind of like these jutting metal everywhere, and then by Dark Knight, it's just New York. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, just literally. Yeah, which is you know, it has its charms, but you know, none of it is real. I mean, that's the thing, and you can maybe ground a character like Batman if you kind of. Well, and play up certain elements because he can, you know, he play up to detect to, to, to death. I'll edit around that. <laughs> if you play up the detective stuff, you can kind of ground that. How do you ground the Joker? Dark Knight and, got the closest, right? And and it's not that you, yeah, I'm not saying you can't ground Batman. That it's impossible makes it a, a bad movie. But I'm just, I'm more lamenting the fact that now that grounded Batman is like the seems to be the only version of Batman we have anymore. It's because there's this obsession. And I think 
you know, the kind of the pursuit of making this dark and gritty Batman to kind of reclaim it from the 60s show. Again, there's kind of this, this disdain for the campy stuff. And um, I get it if, like, that's all it was. And if you're, like, a comics fan in the 70s and 80s and everyone thinks you're, like, a little baby for reading Batman because Adam West is dancing and <laughs> doing whatever on the screen. I kind of get that. We are 60 years removed from that. And it feels, still feels like we're trying to, like, reclaim it from something that, frankly, has been reclaimed. It would be yeah. nice if we tried to re-reclaim it at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm in total agreement with you. Um, it's, it's okay. Batman's still cool, even if, he's, even if he's in spandex. Honestly, it really, it, you know, I don't know. There's, like, this weird power fantasy or something with Batman that, we, that doesn't get attached to other superheroes, per se. Um, I'm not sure I think that's true. I think other superheroes get it, too. But um, maybe not to the same extent as Batman. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could you could probably claim that with like Superman and stuff as well. But there's something about Batman that I think people kind of have a hard time having a sense of humor about. And never, I'm never quite sure what that is um, or why that is. Um, you know, it's not the same thing. I I kind of get it with Luke Skywalker because we all kind of grew up kind of believing we were him so it's, it's a little weird when like you can you know not this is not a last jedi pod it'll never be a last jedi pod but i can understand why seeing him like drink green milk it could feel like i'm being made fun of a little bit if i grew up identifying with luke skywalker i, I can't imagine anyone like identifying like the average kid identifying with like bruce wayne as opposed you know unless he's someone to aspire to like he's rich he's handsome which by the way what i really like about this movie it's not a perfect movie. I like that Bruce Wayne's kind of a weirdo in this. Yes, I agree. And I, um, right, yeah. The the main thing I would say when you look at the different Bruce Waynes we're going to talk about, you know, we haven't gone to other Bruce Waynes besides the Adam West one, which doesn't really take the character seriously. So I'm doesn't count, not right. sure it's in this debate. But yeah, when you look at the different ways that Bruce Wayne is portrayed, they're all like, yeah, they, they all have like some something wrong with them, right? But it's portrayed differently. Here, he's just kind of a, yeah, like you said, he's just kind of a weirdo. Yeah, he's a just kind anti-social. of intense. Yeah, anti, yeah, antisocial, awkward. Um, has, a, has, a, has this kind of like, not temper, but kind of like this crazy streak that he doesn't always know when to let it out. <laughs> which, which tracks, I think. Um, yeah. You know, uh, as as a kid, you know, uh, the, the the character that always stood out the most is, in this movie to me was the Joker. Uh, you know, I hadn't watched this movie in a while, and so I kind of had this impression in my head that Batman was like barely in this movie, and that's really not the case. I don't know if you had that impression too. Yeah, um, Batman nineteen eighty nine kind of has this reputation of being more of a Joker movie than a Batman movie, and part of that is that Jack Nicholson is first build. Um, which it was part of the stipulation of hiring him in the first place. Um, there's a couple things that had to happen for Jack Nicholson to come on board, including like hiring one of his friends to be one of his henchmen. <laughs> but um, Maine was like his main build. And he's certainly more memorable in a way. Like it's bigger, it's flashier. You kind of can't believe it's Jack Nicholson doing all this. Mm. But I think, you know, I think Batman's in it just as much. He just he's 
he really is a character that kind of likes to would rather slink back in the shadows you know uh, he, he barely even he doesn't even really flirt all that well which is not something <laughs> that, that you know the Christian Bale Bruce Wayne has no problem with that right but, but Michael Keaton Bruce Wayne you know it's, it's not he's not a natural with uh, women uh, so I think I think Jack Nicholson's performance just stands out more <laughs> for obvious reasons. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. Let's go into the performance, though. I mean, I think Michael Keaton is great in this movie. Um, yeah. And it's funny because he was also another, con- it's just kind of this constant thing with all Batman in Hollywood. Controversial hire. People hated it at the time. <laughs> not, yeah. not when the movie you know, came out, but again, it was that insecurity about this campy 60s thing. So they, they hire a comedian to play like the first real Batman. And they're like, oh, here we go. They're, they're going to kind of come with the jokes again. Uh, you know, but I think the movie kind of speaks for itself. I think he's great. I think it's an energy that they should use more often <laughs> with <laughs> leading men <laughs> in movies. And I think Marvel kind of does this, except again, they go for more sarcastic than they go with just like weird. Right. And this is yeah, and I think it, you know it's a great flavor. But what you yeah? So what were your thoughts on Michael Keaton? Yeah, no, I thought I thought it was great. I um. I appreciated, and this is something, you know, we might be talking too much about Bat- the Batman in general up to this point, but I appreciated his Batman voice uh, yeah. compared compared to the other ones. You know, he didn't overdo it. He, you know, he, it was a little bit modulated to where it didn't quite sound like his normal Bruce Wayne voice, but it wasn't like this <laughs> crazy thing <laughs> that has become standard now. Um, and, you know, he's... It was it was believable because another thing, kind of like he's just a normal he's a normal looking dude, mm-hmm. you know, like he's not like super jacked in this movie or anything. Like you you would have trouble believing that this guy, even despite how rich he is, you would have trouble believing this guy is going out and like fighting criminals in a bat suit. No, you never believe it. Yeah. And oh. and. <laughs> And and I, I do I do I enjoy it like um like on his first date with Vicky Vale right, his first instinct is to eat dinner in this grand hall at this long table on opposite sides of the room with each other. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's ridiculous, but it shows how like detached from like social uh, uh, relationships he is. Yeah, but he has enough of awareness to kind of go like this. We should move to another room, right? Yeah. And like, there's, there's a little bit of charm and a little bit of awareness there, but it doesn't kick in right away. Right. He had to pass the salt across the table a couple times before he's like, well, let's just get out of here. <laughs> um, this is maybe going too grandiose. Um, I'm about to compare this to one of the best movies ever made. Um, that dinner scene kind of reminded me, it's more of an upbeat version of like a scene from Citizen Kane. Well, um, so I, I took a film class in college I like, and it was like, you know, they, they did different movies throughout different, different decades. And of course, Citizen King was one of them. Um, but they weren't all like all time great movies, which I did appreciate. One of them was Batman Returns. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, the second one. And the reason why the professor chose that movie is because throughout the movie, Tim Burton makes visual references to other movies we talked about in the class like citizen kane um <laughs> in fact the 
the opening sequence of Batman Returns, we can get to this when we talk about it in our next season of this podcast, is like a direct reference to the opening of Citizen Kane. So, I never thought about it. It's been so long since I've seen either, but right. uh, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't doubt it. Tim Burton, for all of his kind of eccentricities, he is very movie literate. And so you comparing that to Citizen Kane, I, I would be willing to bet that's a 100% intentional choice by Tim Burton, or at least right. influence. Yeah, now, of thing. course, yeah. The equivalent scene in Citizen Kane is, I think, supposed to show the deterioration and the, the disconnect of a, of a crumbling marriage. And here it's just, you know, showing his kind of disconnect with how to have a warm dinner, you know. But With someone, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, the, but, you know, I think that the, uh, it, it just stood out to me. And again, Tim Burton... It's interesting. Tim Burton's early work, I know we're working on the performances, but since we're talking about Tim Burton, I think it's interesting. His early work is kind of separated from like, oh, he always uses Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter, da 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 da. His stuff really is, his early stuff really is fun. And it's yeah, kind of I like, agree. not like in a wacky, everyone's throwing out quips, but like it's a, they're, they're fun movies to look at. I agree. I think, I think Tim Burton, Tim Burton, and I haven't seen everything he's done because after a while, I kind of got tired of it. But I feel like Tim Burton <laughs> is a victim of his own success a little bit. Sure. People liked his early stuff so much, and I think his early stuff is really great, that he kind of like got locked into it. You, you, you know what I mean? Like, and I feel like yeah. he, he didn't, and there are exceptions like Big Fish, but there, but he it kind of feels like he just started like, okay, this is what I do. Right. And then, like, you just kind of got it, it stopped being so much fun because it, it almost, as in maybe as I don't know for him, I can't speak of him, but as an audience member, it almost felt like, okay, this is a Tim Burton movie. He's going to do Tim Burton things. Right. Right. Everyone's going to have like five pounds of white makeup on and there's right. be, like a bunch of swirls. I mean, you know, they made a whole comedy video about this 10 years ago. Um, right. Right. And, and and so whereas early on, I mean, you still have those Tim Burton trademarks, but it doesn't feel forced. It feels natural. Mm -hmm. um, and this is very much a Tim Burton movie. I it, agree. Again, I, I feel like I feel like Tim Burton marries well with Batman. Right. We, we talked about Superman, how um, Richard Lester did not marry well, well with Superman. Mm -hmm. But Tim Burton very much marries well with Batman, I think. Yeah, in fact, one could argue his two movies. I mean, you know, I, I I'm, I'm quite fond of a lot of the uh, Nolan stuff, although it's been a long time since I've seen him. I might feel differently now than in my 30s. But, um, <laughs> you know, arguably his two Batman movies are probably, they, they could be among the best, you know, live action Batman movies made <laughs> to this day. I don't know if everyone's going to agree with that, but I think an argument can be made. For sure, absolutely. Easily. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point about them trying to make a more serious Batman, even though this there is some comedy and ridiculousness in this movie, I think it's successful in making a serious version of Batman. Mm -hmm. Which, which you know, when you when you do have that specter of the campy Adam West shark propellant Batman, um, <laughs> you know, I. I you know, that's, that's certainly something to be lauded. Yeah, well, I think the kind of, you know, the kind of like half camp, but like half serious kind of leads us nicely into, we've already talked about him a little bit, but Jack Nicholson's Joker, mm -hmm. which to me visually looked like it was a direct reference to the um, 
Cesar Romero Joker from the Adam West series. I thought I thought so to too. I thought so too. And that's not something I think you would see now. I mean, definitely they wouldn't do the Joker like this now because I think they've totally lost their way with what the Joker is. <laughs> but you know, just just color and like you know, he tells corny jokes and stuff, but he still seems like oh, he could definitely kill me. Well, it helps that he a, didn't kill a lot a of people mix. in the movie. I'm sorry, what was that? It helps that he does kill a lot of people in this movie. He does. Um, a lot of blood on his hands. <laughs> um, yeah, again, Jack, you know, kind of a... Um, I would say counterintuitive choice, but I don't know if it felt like that in 1989. I think um, he's up there with like one of their first choices, I think. Um, yeah, they wanted him since 1980. You know who really wanted this role and like petitioned for it hard? Obviously didn't get it. No, who? Robin Williams. Huh. You know, I can see it, actually. Yeah, I actually think he could he, play He actually would have been great. Mm-hmm. Um, especially knowing now, knowing now, like, how good of an actor he really was. It's, it's very true. Um, but I can, I can see why they went with Nicholson in 1989. Yeah, Robin Williams. huge star. Probably helped the movie get made. I mean... Tim Burton uh, coming on was like the big thing. And then, of course, um, once he hit it big with um, uh, Beetlejuice, that was like the sign of like, okay, he's, he, can, he can make a profitable movie. But I think signing Jack Nicholson I, at that point is no, no, no going back. You start rewriting the movie to fit around him at that point. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it was, it was the right choice. And you know what? He's having fun. Yeah. <laughs> I got. I, I respect that. Uh, yeah, almost nothing more to be said. I, <laughs> you know, I, I was here's here's something I'll say. Jack Nicholson's Joker. It, he's kind of also had the reputation of oh, he's just playing Jack Nicholson, but as you know, with white makeup on, and there's some truth to that. But I'm not sure. I think people underestimate. I think I think it got to the point where like his Joker was so iconic. And then there's this weird period where people like kind of turned against it, where to the point where his Joker, I think, has kind of become underrated. I was going to say, I remember pretty vividly when Dark Knight came out and Heath Ledger's, you know, performance came and kind of blew everyone away. And, you know, I remember there kind of being this feeling of like, ah, finally, like a serious Joker, like we can wipe clean like what Jack, what Jack did with it. And I think I just kind of took that for granted because I hadn't either hadn't seen it or hadn't seen it in a while. But I don't know, man. I don't. I think it's. I think it's totally unfair to say like. I feel like we're always just doing this. Like this is this is the first real serious one. The other one was campy, and like how I, I feel like it's a race to the bottom as far as that goes. But it's not really a campy performance. I don't think it's big. Yeah, I feel like it's, it's broad. More like it's broad, right? It's he's chewing scenery the whole time, right? Which, which is appropriate of the Joker, I think. Yeah, the Joker um, eats scenery all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, I don't know that I would call it my very favorite Joker. Um, but I think it's... A, it, I, I'm looking, it, it's not a long list, to be perfectly honest. I mean, if you include animation and TV, it might get a little longer. But just in terms of live-action blockbuster, it's a shorter list than you think. Um, and, you know... I think he's easily second. 
Um, I guess I'm playing. Yeah, I, have, so I haven't. First is, but I haven't actually seen the Joaquin Phoenix Joker. Movie. I have not seen the Joaquin Phoenix Joker yeah. either. So, so I guess um, I have to. I we, he, he could we, top it. I right. I mean, because like, I feel like for most people, because Cesar Romero kind of doesn't. He he, he was fine, but the, all due respect, he's not part of this list. <laughs> exactly, and so really, it's four names. I've right. only seen three of them. Yeah. Only only disliked one of them. So I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, as of right now, it's a two person race. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess. Yeah, I guess I tipped my hand a little bit, but um, yeah. look, it's great. It's good to see. It's just good to see stars have like fun. Like you again. You watched the special features. Like Jack is uh, he him remembering doing the movie. He's having fun just talking about it. Like he's he's. Just, He's having a blast. Just so uh, it, it's nice to see, and it's the kind of energy I feel like you don't get now because everyone in a superhero movie has to be a star. There's never like this, like one big get. Um. So yeah, and it's also Jack's it's great. also nice, yeah. That you know, another, another thing is it was smart that they didn't make this an origin story. I love I it didn't make it an origin story. Yeah, because because it allowed you to actually like give Batman and Joker equal time and allow it to be a Batman versus Joker movie. Hey, I mean, sure, oh, go ahead. You know, I mean, sure, it was a Joker origin story, which is also, I think, part of the reason why it has uh, a reputation for being more of a Joker movie, I think. That's a good um, point. But, I mean, you... Is this the only one villain in this movie, right? These days, we're kind of used to a lot of different villains showing up in different ways. They, they seem to try to, like, give every comic book hero like if there's a you know small villain like small as far as like not huge in the comics they try to like shove him in as like a henchman or something and i think sometimes dark knight did that dark knight absolutely did that and Mm -hmm. i sometimes i feel like it it almost like takes the spotlight away from the main villain agreed Uh, i think that's kind of like this um upping of the ante kind of thing like we did one villain before so now we got to do two and then they got to do three or I mean, god i mean now the first one has like four villains i mean doesn't the batman have like the penguin and catwoman and yeah Riddler well, i don't know and... the catwoman have you not seen it yet i have not as of okay. as of this recording i have not but time it posts I have yeah not so seen it, but... yeah the the batman has a catwoman's really more Catwoman's not a villain anymore in these movies, right? Okay, I mean, she, that's fair. She's a, she's an anti-hero. Um, so, but obviously she has a big part in it. Uh, but yeah, you have you have Penguin, you have Riddler, and you have the the mob. Uh, I forgot. Um, uh, Carmine. Carmine. Yeah, Carmine. Um, and I, I think that's it. I mean, I don't remember there being, you know, of course, there's henchmen and stuff like that. But right. you, know, you, have, you have basically three big villains in this movie. Um, I would say Riddler ends up being the main one. But yeah, you, he, he has to contend with Penguin. He has to contend with Carmine. And right. I mean, it's not, it's not a Riddler movie in the same way that this is a Joker movie. Right. Uh, you know, you mentioned Batman doesn't have an origin story, and something stood out to me in the opening scene. I actually watched this with Trina, um, my wife. Has she ever seen it before? No, never seen oh. it. First time. What'd she think of it? Uh, she thought it was fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And, you know. Well, I, I do wonder say, if there's some, there's a lot of nostalgia in me watching this movie. That's right? the thing. And actually, I watched these, I think I watched this series almost backwards. I saw Batman and Robin in theaters. That was the first <laughs> Batman movie I ever saw. And that's like Batman Forever on like TV. And I think I finally, after that, was like, okay, let's watch Batman. But yeah, I have a lot more tied up in this than I thought I did. Because I'm more of a Marvel guy. But um, this this kind of, you know, this is, we're in the realm now. Every movie we're going to be covering here will be in our lifetime. So we're going to have yep. more of a personal connection to most of these, I think. That's true. That's true. So that, that might color what we're, you know, color our coverage, as they say. Um, the opening scene. Uh, do you, was that an intentional misdirect, do you think? Because it almost felt like for all the world, like it was doing a play on the Batman origin story, except it's the first time, this is like the first live action Batman movie. So I don't know what they would have been riffing on. Because now it's an old cliche, right? We see the, Wayne, yeah. we see the Waynes walking down a dark hallway or, and they get shot and the pearls go. So you know, when we watch the opening scene, which is a family walking down a dark hallway and they get mugged by criminals. Um, Trina assumed these, this was, this was little, little Bruce and his family. And of course and you, it's not, it's just some random, it's just some random kid and his mom and dad. Right. Um, I mean, I, that's a good question. And I want to say yes, because it's obviously like supposed to be mirroring what happened to Batman and his family. It's so beat for beat, right? Right, right. I mean, so that's an obviously an intentional thing, but then at the same time, like, who who are they tricking in 1989? Just comic book nerds, uh, <laughs> right? I would understand that they did it now because yeah. they do it in every every single. I mean, I don't know if they did it in the patents and Batman, but um, you know that would make sense here in 2022 or 2023, but. 1989. I, I, don't, I don't know what they were working on, but and, it, stood and out, I, it stood out to me. And what, what I kind of assumed watching it again was it was kind of, they intentionally set it up like that for maybe like a rewatch, right? Because mm. um, once you know Batman's origin by the movie you do, you go back and watch it, you're like, oh, this is what happened to Batman. You know, so it's giving you the Batman origin with, because they never actually show you, I mean, they show you kind of in a weird angled flashback but they don't it's not a fluid scene where you it's see not. batman's origin and so this kind of acts as that until batman intercedes that's a good point it kind of makes a statement about like what kind of town gotham is like the stuff goes right. on all the time exactly you would think the rich would just learn to get <laughs> cab in front of the theater but <laughs> apparently not i guess not so yeah, Jack, Michael. Uh, I guess we can move down to kind of the uh, second tier stars here. And this is where I think the movie, we've been talking about what's really great about it. I don't think it's a perfect movie. And I no, think, it's, um, I mean, it's not. And some of it hasn't aged well as well. And we can talk about that too, but go yeah. on. Uh, uh, Kim, Kim, uh, <laughs> there's a family guy joke about Kim Basinger, Basinger. Basinger? Oh, I, thought, I always thought it was Basinger, but I don't really know. I think it's Basinger. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <I figured. laughs> it's only it's only been it's only been 30 she's only been a celebrity for 35 years come on I'm like, how, how are we supposed to know um her vicky vale um what did we think of her i thought her, she was fine her, in it does she have a reputation for not being good in this movie i don't know if she has a reputation for not being good i 
she didn't make much of an impression on me, I will say. I do think her character kind of gets uh, kind of gets tied up in the subplot that I, th- I A, I find interesting that they put it in to a superhero movie at all, but B, kind of wasn't as interesting to me, that, that being the journalism subplot. Right, which also kind of gets, it doesn't completely get dropped. I mean, she's still a journalist of the whole movie, but like, Midway through, it stops being relevant, really. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads a little bit. We're not... At some point, we're going to talk about, like, the story structure of this. And I actually think it's... That's the part about the movie that hadn't aged as much to me. But um, we, we can we can kind of get there when we get there. Um, no, she's fine, you know? <laughs> I got to tell you, this stood out to me. I thought, I think you'll find it funny in, like, a kind of a not-that-funny way. So Sean Young... Uh, that of you know Blade Runner and uh, movies like that. She was supposed to be Vicky Vale at one point, uh, to the point where I think like a week before shooting, she was supposed to be Vicky Vale. Oh, but, she, she, but she got she got thrown off a horse and she got injured. Oh, and she couldn't do it. So they had to recast her really quickly. <laughs> oh wow, Jesus! Well, and this poor woman. They brought her back for the special feature interviews for reasons <laughs> unbeknownst to me. Uh, to talk about the experience of like not being in Batman, and she's like, "Yeah, it sucked. It was it's, it's this big what if in my career." <laughs> like, I can see that because her career really went nowhere after the night after the eighties. Yeah, kind of a kind of a rough story for her, and um, but I can't imagine imagine this like major opportunity like kind of falling through your fingers through no fault of your own. I mean, not really, and then um being asked about it 30 years later going, was that, was that a hard experience for you not getting into being Batman? This is for the Batman DVD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it sucked. <laughs> wow. Uh, that, is, that was messed up. Jesus. Yeah. I will say she, uh, for some reason, the way she looks in this movie, Kim Basinger, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not quite formulating the thought here. So uh, I may edit this if I don't land on something. But like the way she looks, like the way her hair is, the way her costume is, I feel like I'm kind of this, when I think of the Batman 1989 movie, I kind of like go to that. And for some reason, like that, that look with like a little bit of smoke, kind of you know, like fog from Gotham, kind of floating through. Like I kind of like that kind of feels like what the 1989 Tim Burton movie is to me. I don't know what that is. I don't know. I don't even know what what is triggering that for me. So mm. I'll, I'll say that. Okay. Yeah, you mean, so all. you think she kind of has an iconic presence visually in the movie? Yeah, I think so. But yeah. um, but the character herself, I feel like, could have used a couple more drafts or something. I don't know. Because um, again, she's kind of she spends a lot of her movie hanging out with Robert Wool, and we'll get to him. But um, you know, I. I Outside of some, uh, some actually some pretty interesting chemistry with Michael Keaton, I feel like the character was uh, there was stuff left on the table for me. Was that's fair. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Um, yeah, she. But I, but I do agree. I do agree that she did have interesting chemistry with Michael Keaton, and I guess for that reason, I don't mind. I don't mind that, like, you know. The the journalism subplot was really just a excuse to get her 
interested in Batman and Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I mean, that was that was more of a setup than it was a plot, I guess. Yeah, that's um, fair. But but you know, I I did enjoy her chemistry with with uh, Bruce Wayne. Um, I I do think. I don't know. I guess, in, in my opinion, this movie does make a lot of mistakes in its third act. That's interesting. Did you have something specific? Well, you know, um, did did the Joker have to kill Batman's parents? Yeah, that's a point of contention. To the point where, again, special features, Sam Hamm, the, one of the screenwriters for this, he, he gets brought up and he kind of puts his hands up and goes, that wasn't me. <laughs> that was not my idea. Yeah, I, I I found that unnecessary. And then, like, the whole thing where she, like, the Joker, like, grabs her and kidnaps her and runs up to, like, you know, yeah. that, you know, and then she's just, I think she's supposed to be drugged or something, right? I think so. But it's, it's, she just, you know, it, it, it didn't feel, um, for that last act of the movie, she's just kind of a problem for Batman, right? She's just getting, She's almost a prop. Right. She's almost a prop. That's a better way of putting it. She's almost a prop at the end of the movie. And that didn't feel very, you know, I think that's why you feel like there's something left on the table because whatever arc she was having doesn't get finished. Uh, I'll pause. I will say this. I'll, I'll do you one better. I'm not sure there are any arcs at all in this movie, which is maybe why it feels a little, little unsatisfying um, outside of like the nostalgia and like the atmosphere and the mood, which still, kicks it's it's so good but you sit there and you kind of go you know movies don't need to have arcs not necessarily every single time but you know i think they kind of try to forge this connection between i think having this dichotomy of like batman and joker you know we're both created the same way it's an interesting idea i just don't know if the movie earns it it's something that I actually think Dark Knight does pretty well of like this whole like we need each other kind of thing. They explore that pretty well. Here you kind of see the idea of it. But again, I think it could have used another draft or two. I know they try to tie it in with like the, the devil and the pale moonlight line, but I don't think Joker says it enough in the movie for it to have any <laughs> impact. He says it like twice. Right, right. Yeah. Um, agreed. And, and maybe you're right because the lack of arcs kind of, the ending just kind of happens. Right? Yeah. It's just another one of Joker's schemes to kill a bunch of people and cause right. so chaos, and then Batman stops it, and the movie ends. Pretty much. Which is funny, because I think the movie's almost too plot-heavy in its first 30 minutes. There's a lot of, like, gangster machinations, <laughs> which is kind of true to, like, it almost felt like an episode of one of the Batman serials, actually, of just, like, gangsters in boardrooms kind of all scheming against each other. <laughs> It kind of it felt nostalgic for me to a year ago when we were kind of covering those, but it's like it's so plot heavy. And then once the Joker's created, it almost becomes like this Batman hangout movie, <laughs> which is kind of cool. But they could have evened out the plot a little bit. I don't yeah. know what I mean by that. I'm not a professional screenwriter, so I don't know anything. But but yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe that's why that third act is a bit unsatisfying. Be is you're right. You know, uh, the the connection they try to make between Batman and Joker doesn't land. Uh, it doesn't feel earned. And there's, you know, there's no real arc. It's just Batman's defeating the villain at the end. And an old, yeah. Well, and, and another thing I felt didn't age well was the choreography. Choreography. <laughs> 
quarter yeah. drink. <laughs> I can cut that if you want. Only if you want. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but um, yeah, no, go. I uh, I think I agree with you, but well, it just that. you know, first of all, the the bat suit wasn't designed well. No, Michael Keaton can't move his turn his neck in this <laughs> no, movie. He cannot. He has, he has to do a whole like swivel to do to to do it, and because of that, because Batman can barely move. Like he's supposed to be like kicking all these guys' asses, and he can <laughs> barely move. Um, and so, and so, I think, I think, especially when your finale is this big action sequence, when the choreography doesn't look that great, and there's not, it's not necessarily the conclusion of a satisfying arc. It does kind of fall um, flat, I think. Yeah, that's fair. There's an old, I want to say it's a Billy Wilder quote. That kind of goes, if there's a problem with your third act, that means there's a problem with your first. What that means is if you're not being able to like, not able to wrap up sufficiently your themes and stuff, that's because you probably didn't set it up properly in the first place and you need to go back and do that. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. If they're going to do Batman and Joker or two sides of the same coin, they need to start digging into that right away. Right. That's the one advantage Dark Knight has on Batman is that it doesn't doesn't bother with an origin of joker he kind of rolls into town one day wreaks all this havoc and then disappears um there's no explanation needed right agreed and and what also um joker comes around when batman's more established in the dark knight so you you can start with that whole like you know how has batman fighting crime you know what are the positives about it but what are all the the unintended consequences right that was the big theme I think of the Dark Knight, where yeah. Joker was an unintended con- consequence. Right. That's that's a that's an excellent point. Well, here I guess that's still technically the case, but it's more that he just turned crazy because Batman couldn't save him from falling to a pit of acid. That's not <laughs> right. Not, not quite as nuanced as that, you know. Um, yeah. And again, you think. What am I trying to say? I feel like trying to bring like emotional nuance into stuff, like. You know, probably wasn't the goal. I don't mean that in like a, you know, I don't, I don't mean that in a, like I'm not trying to value it one way or the other. But I think the goal here was like let's let's ground the character, let's get the atmosphere going, let's try to get like an A to B to C story, and like let's 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 make some money. Um, you know, and that's obviously the goal of all movies. So like that's right. not that's not unique to this. But I think. I think for being like the first salvo out, I could I I can imagine the first one kind of getting like the baseline out, and then like the next round of Batman movies, it's like what can we do differently here? Like maybe maybe turn to psychological theme at that point. Right, and and I think this movie's successful in most of its goals. You know, I mean the atmosphere I think is great. I think Tim Burton was the right choice for that. Yeah. You know, Jack Nicholson's Joker is captivating. I think there are there are a lot of scenes in this movie that are just really great scenes that on their own are just great scenes. And it's just a matter of, you know, the, the last scene, you know, the last sequence isn't great. It, truly. I think one more like really, really good, like redraft. And uh, this movie could be almost perfect because you're right. All the bones are there. The casting, the kind of the oddball casting is there. And you're right. There are a lot of great individual scenes. I think, <laughs> You know, I have my eye on my categories here. One of my favorite moments of this movie, and the thing I always think about 
you know, for all the bombast of the movie is the scene where, you know, Bruce Wayne earlier decides he's going to just, you know, at the prodding of uh, Alfred, he's going to tell Vicky Vale his secret identity. <laughs> he, he just can't do it. He, the words yeah. can't leave his mouth. And then yeah. right, he's about to do it. Someone's at the door and he's like mouthing it to himself. Mm-hmm. It's great. <laughs> Only Michael Keaton yeah. could have done that. And, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just a great scene. And that leads into like the, the famous let's get nuts stuff. I mean, it's, yeah, there's lots of great scenes. They just don't always tie together in a satisfying way. So it kind of makes for like an uneven experience sometimes. Right. Um, I like, really liked Alfred in this movie, speaking of which. Oh, um, he is Alfred to me. I know. Yeah. Michael Caine is great. And, you know, it's Jeremy Irons. And who, oh, who is it in a... Andy Circus? Yeah, they're all, they're all well and good. But this is, this is Alfred to me. I agree. Um, and I love, I love, you know, when you're talking about chemistry. I really thought Michael Keaton and what's his, what's the name of this actor who plays Alfred? Uh, uh, I believe it's Michael Goff. Michael Goff. Yeah. I think they have great chemistry. Absolutely. And, you know, people like him and uh, the guy who plays Gordon, whose name I don't have in front of me, uh, they will become steady presences uh, throughout this franchise. That kind of. <laughs> the only ones, right? Yeah. They're the only two. Um. But yeah, him and Michael Keaton are really something. Again, what you want from Alfred and Bruce Wayne, it's actually something that I think, it's, you know, I'm looking behind both my shoulders. The Zack Snyder stuff actually understood pretty well, too. This lived-in kind of mentor quality to Alfred and Bruce. Uh, you know, it has to feel lived in. And I, what I really like about this one is that it's all done it's all done through chemistry. It's all done through, there's not even like little lines not, not into like a, you know, hinting at a history or how they came to be that I can recall. It's just all implied and you can just feel it from like how he stands and like how he moves. Like it's, right. it's look, old, old British actors, just put them in your movies <laughs> and dude, you're, you're going to have an A plus film. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of it is also through how Alfred talks to Vicky too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it talks about their Bruce as a kid and mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, embarrasses Bruce with old stories. And, um, you know, I he legitimately feels like a father to Bruce, you know, yeah. so he, you know, prodding Bruce about like getting married, and, like, yeah. you know, That's brings exactly Vicky to the Batcave. And yeah, he's his guardian. I mean, it, obviously, he's a he's quite literally a servant to Bruce, but he's way more than that. He's He's his friend. He's his father. He's his guardian. And yeah, I don't know that anyone ever did it better. Yeah, that's something I'll be will be looking for as we go through these Batman movies. But I, I he's certainly great. I think. Yeah, I don't remember a lot of FaceTime. It's been a while since I've seen these other three, but I don't remember there being like quite so much FaceTime. Um, with him and like the other Batman. I know him and Chris O'Donnell have a, have a scene or two. <laughs> infamous, infamous. Infamous. I remember him being in those movies a lot, oddly enough. I have the exact opposite memory, but it's been a while for me too. I just remember it being kind of like, uh, I just remember like the last two kind of opened with like these like putting on the suit montages and then Alfred goes like, uh, shall I, you know, 
shall I wait up for you, sir? And then, like, Valkyrie's like, uh, don't think so, Alfred. And I was like, oh, very well. I, but I'm sure there's more to it than that. But that's just what sticks out to me. It's been, it's been a while. I'm going to look back on this episode and go, like, Ryan, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> but, yeah. You know who else I really liked? I wish I had a list of the characters in front of me. There was an actor. <laughs> it was the it was the corrupt uh, police officer <laughs> that like got like his, he was frankly a big fat guy. The reason I remember him, uh, Trina thought he we thought he kind of looked like John Candy. I'm like that's not John Candy, obviously. He's like mm-hmm. the opposite of John Candy, and Trina called him John Vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> and. <laughs> But there's him and like a couple of like the police officers and a couple of like the gangsters. Like Jack Palance was great in his like one or two quick scenes. Mm-hmm. I think here's what it is: characters like that up against like people who are very modern. Like Gotham has like this modern feel to it, except all the gangsters and villains wear like '30s pinstripe suits and like have like Tommy guns <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, well, that's something I like about this movie is it's it's fantastical. Right, it's, it's a comic book. It's it's a comic book. It's dark and serious, but it's not grounded. And that's kind of what I was talking about before. I, I don't, you know, I don't mind Batman being grounded necessarily, but I disagree. That's the best or only way to interpret the character, and and I kind of lament that we now Batman has to be grounded. I I, I want to see Batman not be so grounded. I uh, um, totally agreed. I, I think dark and serious is the right tone for him, but I I, I like the. <laughs> Joker falling into boiling hot acid, you know, right. like killing, killing people with a hot buzzer. Exactly, you know? killing people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so, well, and, 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 and frankly, like, like his schemes in the movie are actually terrifying, right? Poisoning uh, a bunch of makeup supplies. Yeah, well, that stood out to me too. Because how many years after this? When was the big Tylenol scale scare? Oh, I don't remember. So, you know, for those, for those who don't know, like in the eighties, this was like a real thing. Like there was like basically arsenic laced Tylenol uh, on the shelves in like Chicago. And it was like this huge thing. It's, it's kind of why medicine isn't like the, in the capsule form where you can open it up and all the medicines inside them. It's, it's, it's they're solids now or they're gel mm. because of that. That's basically the Joker's plan here. And they never caught the guy, by the way, either. Um, oh, interesting. <laughs> it's an unsolved mystery, I think. Maybe, well, maybe it was a Joker. Um, but that was like the Joker's plan just like cycled up 50 times. It's not just right. medicine. It's just like anything you could possibly buy. And so I have to wonder if that hit people at all, especially in major cities, um, kind of seeing that. I, I, I don't know. This is a thought that crossed my mind. I'm sure it was... Completely unintentional. These things go through so many drafts, and things are written so many years in advance. And um, but it's a very real. T- it's something that could happen to us now, frankly. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it'd be as easy as the Joker did it, but still, like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's a terrifying thing. In fact, it's probably the most terrifying Joker plot I've actually seen on film. Because it's so benign, right? It seems so yeah. simple. Right, and it just it just kills you for doing something you would well, not me necessarily, but someone would do every day without thinking. Right, and it it was also interesting, and one of the reasons why I think you know that sticks out in your mind. It's also like there's a dark 
there's a dark humor to it in the way it's portrayed because you know, what starts happening is the news anchors can't wear any makeup anymore and they look terrible. Mm-hmm. And, and then like there's, so there's, there's the Tim Burton there. Yeah. Well, it's just commentary, um, which adds some layers to it. I get it, but also he doesn't, uh, and I, and as a dark humor, he doesn't do it as a, in a horrific way. Oh, I mean, it is horrific, but it's, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, I mean, it's literally done with a smile on his face. It's a forced smile. But um, right. but it's you know it's not done. Again, it it's all kind of it's <laughs> it's all kind of funny to him, right? Like right, and well, and it's it's directed and and acted in a as though it were a comedy. But what's you know it's grotesque. Grotesque. That's a really good word and, for it. And and I, I Tim Burton leans into the grotesque in this movie with Joker, and. That I like a lot. Yeah, they kind of, because again, the, the Suicide Squad version of Joker, he's just <laughs> gross. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> and, you know, the Walking Phoenix one kind of leans into heavily into like the mental illness and kind of societal aspect of Joker, which is not uninteresting, you know, in and of itself. I think yeah, I mean, that's I do want to watch the movie. I just literally haven't sat down and done it yet. Yeah. It's a valid way to look at him, but this is kind of a nice mix of just like there's almost like this irony to Joker and something that the Heath Ledger Joker does as well. And you're right, people for, they, they seem to have gotten away from the fact that like, the Joker can have like funny lines. He has like funny lines here. I mean, they're, they're dorky jokes, but like, I don't know. I, I, I just imagine I'm. I'm <laughs> Jack, you know, Jack pulling up the uh, the tie of a of a skeleton and going like, "I'm glad you're dead." <laughs> you are a vicious bastard, retaliant. I'm glad you're dead. <laughs> I'm glad you're dead. <laughs> That's fun. It's funny. Yeah, it's funny. It is. It is. Like, it's, it's disturbing, but it's this dark mm-hmm. humor that works. Yeah, I agree. It's funny. Yeah, it's like the it's like the you want to see a magic trick thing from Dark Knight. It's like it's funny, right. and then something horrible happens, but it's still like it's presented like a joke. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, he's great. Um, since we're on the topic of Joker and Vicky Vale, um, a scene I don't think we'd ever see in a superhero movie ever again would be um, uh, a villain dancing to an original Prince song. (laughs) Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. That, uh, <laughs> you know, songs are well, written. Unfortunately, for unfortunately, we would never get an original Prince song again. But um, well, that's true. <laughs> but a villain just coming out dancing to an original pop song, yeah. Because, mm-hmm. uh, like, of course, like songs are still written for you know superhero movies to this day. Kendrick Lamar wrote a whole bunch for Black Panther. There's a Soundgarden song, and 
the end credits of the Avengers, but that's the point. They're usually at the end credits or it's like background music. Like Black Panther's not dancing to Kendrick Lamar in any scene. <laughs> well, maybe, so maybe that's a flaw in that movie, you know. Yeah. Get, if, I about to, if, get if I had to give a note, could he dance more? <laughs> um, but you know what? It's, it is stupid and maybe hasn't aged well, quote unquote, but it's... I had a good time. I had a good time watching it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't mind that either. I mean, you roll your eyes, but you. I feel like you kind of. They. I guess they. They fully commit to it in such a way that you're like, okay. After after a while, you're like, okay, I'm into it. Yeah, they're not apologizing for it. Like this yeah. is the scene where we promote the Prince song. So let's just let's have the Joker do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to get that in. No, that's fine. That's that's fair. Uh, uh, no, that I agree. That that would never happen today. Uh, that that was mine as well. Uh, the 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 way the Prince song was used. Legitimately, <laughs> it, 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 it felt like a completely different movie for for two minutes. Well, yes. however long that scene was, but yeah. Yeah, it was. Oh, it was a couple minutes. I mean, I think it was the whole song. <laughs> was it okay? I think so. Um, but you know, it it didn't feel out of character for the Joker to be like eating that up either so no not at all he's a big ham here uh someone i didn't like as much robert wall as uh, alexander knox reporter at large um i feel like he may have been the one element uh, you may have felt that completely differently i actually don't mind robert Wool that much i know he was in a show that got made fun of a lot when i was a kid that horse being arliss uh never watched it couldn't tell you but I feel like his character here maybe pushed the movie just a little bit too far back into like that. This is the character you would have seen in like a Batman serial, I think. Like the kind of like, hey, what do you do? What do you know? Uh, and I feel like everything he said kind of needed like a, like a laugh track at the end of it. Lieutenant, is there a six foot bat in Gotham City? And if so, is he on the police payroll? And if so, what's he pulling down after taxes? <laughs> And it was maybe just the wrong. I, I, I appreciate funny in movies, but it just something about it stuck out to me. In he was annoying. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he he wasn't a three dimensional character. You know, his his purpose in the movie was to move Vicky along the plot. And once once that happened, he lost his purpose in the movie. Other than to be like nag Vicky, right? Because that, that's all he did in the second half of this movie is like, why are you spending so much time with Bruce? <laughs> uh, and, so, and so he wasn't like a full 3D character. He was his, his only role was to be jealous of Vicky in the second half of the movie. And the, his role in the first half of the movie was to, you know, basically Vicky needed someone to talk to, and so we could understand her motivation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so. You know, and and that's fine. I don't mind characters like that necessarily, but like, he didn't need to be in the second half. If he disappeared from the second half of this movie, other than like maybe a scene where reporters were talking to a politician, I would have been fine. But they kept like putting him in the movie to be like, <laughs> and he was just he was just annoying. He wasn't funny. No, um, if he yeah, if he had actually said something funny, I might have liked it. <laughs> but... <yeah. laughs> but no, he was just there to nag Vicky the whole time, and so yeah, no, I mean, I think that's why his character doesn't work. I don't think it's. Because I, I think the mix of like this, like kind of like, you know, sci-fi Gotham City, but like everyone in it has like the attitude from the 30s. I think that works. 
And so I don't think that's the problem with this character. I think the problem with this character is that you said he was annoying. Yeah. He reminded me of he did remind me of that that guy from the um Flash Gordon sequel. I was just about to say he reminded me that the, in the second Flash Gordon serial, they add a new character and he's a he's an American reporter and he's basically just there to you know, same fu- same function Alexander Knox has to have some sort of like funny observation that no one thinks is funny, including the audience. And uh, <laughs> but at least there he had sort of a you know in a fifteen part serial function. So it's like, well, maybe this maybe this guy can get into trouble and Flash can save him. It doesn't always have to be uh, you know you know Dale Arden, <laughs> right? Um, but here, I mean. The guy's not involved in the story enough to even get into any peril, really. He kind of just except for when Vicky hits him with a car. Um, oh yeah, well, she's a but, hero the, but again, that. that's like... that's another that's another part of the, the third act that you, I mean doesn't doesn't quite work. Is you know he his life's in danger. He's kind of the audience surrogate while, um, you know they had the whole scene where Vicky has to go in the car to hide from the gas, and he's out like saving someone. None of that felt it felt awkward. Yeah, again, just kind of unnecessary. And yeah. if you want to make it necessary, you got to bake that in from the jump or else cut him or at least reduce the role. If he was just like a random character, like in the newsroom, you saw him like a couple scenes, that might be different. Right. But he's not. He's positioned like he's a major character. I mean, you see, you meet him well before you ever meet uh, Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne doesn't come into this movie for like half an hour. <laughs> it feels like. <laughs> Well, right. I mean, we see Batman in the first scene, but not That's true. But not like you literally don't see Michael Keaton's full face till half hour into this movie, which yeah. I didn't mind, which I no, thought I was kind of cool. cool. Um, but you're but you're right. Like he's, you know, we we see Jack Nicholson and we see him because you don't even see Kim Basinger for a while too. Like we meet Kim Basinger through Robert Rule's character. Yes. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. It would have made, you know. Yeah, there's no reason why you couldn't have been Kim Basinger. Like, I feel you. Did she need to be like an award-winning photographer? No, why couldn't she have been? Why, yeah, why couldn't she, she could have been, been an ace reporter? Yeah. Um, you know, I suppose maybe maybe that maybe, would... maybe that would have been too um, Lois Lane. I don't know. I was gonna say because I had the thought of um, yes, I think you're right, but the journalism aspect of this because you know with Superman. Journalism's kind of part and parcel with it because all the main characters work in a newspaper. That's not necessarily the case with Batman. And I'm wondering what the decision making process was to make that so such a heavy thing. And it's first Batman. They certainly never go back to it. I don't remember, you know, I don't remember. Aren't in any of the future movies, I don't think. So they are not. I don't recall yeah. Batman I mean Batman returns is more on the business and politics side and you know. I don't think newspapers exist in Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. That's <laughs> it's, it's a lot of reading. Um, <laughs> so I'm just, I'm curious. I, I don't have an answer. The special features didn't uh, shed any light on this. I, I, was it an intentional nod to Superman? Was it a way to kind of, I, I, I just don't know. I mean, I don't know Vicky Vale from the comics that well. Is she is she a photographer? I don't know. I don't know either. It's possible that's what she was in the comics, and that's why they went that direction with her. Um, I don't Maybe know. That's it. Um, but yeah, it, a it, it's interesting. It's a it certainly causes there to be a quieter movie in the right. beginning. 
which I kind of appreciate, but it just doesn't, I don't know if it added as much as it could. Well, and I think part of it too, and I think you have to think about, you know, what this movie is trying to accomplish when it was made, right? It's trying to slink off the specter of the, you know, the 60s can't be Batman. And so this is, they're trying to reintroduce the world to Batman and at least in films, right? Mm-hmm. So it does kind of make sense to, if you're going to try to do that, maybe you set that up by giving you Batman through other people's eyes. And so he's this mysterious figure. Let him be a mystery, right? But then you need, if you're going to let Batman be a character, then you have to introduce him through someone else. And why not a journalist who's, who's trying to find Batman? And then you can introduce Batman through the testimonials of criminals and... Right. And as this kind of, you know, figure people are skeptical of and he's in the shadows, he's hard to find. So I, 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 I get it. Right. I mean, that's why you don't start with Batman in this movie. You let him you let there be a build up to this new Batman. Sure. I mean, they build up so much that even Bruce Wayne's first scene, he he claims to not be Bruce Wayne. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> um, I feel like in recent years, I've kept especially on the TV side. Well, no, even in the movies more recently, like they've kind of filled that role with like law enforcement, like a detective or like Gordon is sort of like the, the one to kind of like unveil. I mean, didn't they make a whole show about Gordon kind of like, you know, unveiling the, I mean, Batman wasn't even a thing yet. Um, I haven't seen Gotham, but wasn't that the right? Whole thing? You're talking about the Gotham TV show. I haven't watched much of it either, but that was all about like a young Gordon and yeah. like there's a, a young Bruce Wayne is in that movie too. And yeah, but I I have I didn't I think I watched like the first couple episodes, but I didn't. But yeah, yeah. so I feel like that's a role that they, they. I feel like if they had Batman 1989 to do over again, which would be strange, um, they may have front loaded that with like just cops instead of reporters but um you know yeah but we also That's... see that a lot and you know there's sort of a novelty to it in this mm-hmm. i appreciate i can't quite put my you know i can't quite give a thumbs down to but i just well and i i, I think um part of the reason for that is you want in these days we want jim gordon to be a major part of the batman franchise jim gordon's a huge role yeah. player here where in this movie he doesn't really leave an impression. No, you be you, you would be uh, you would be hard pressed to point him out if you didn't know which one was he was supposed to be. I, I don't think right. I, don't, I don't think my wife figured it out right away. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, especially when I mean, you know, I feel like he's become a really iconic character. Sure. Um, in part to the portrayals, you know, in the you know by Gary Oldman, but. Right. Um. Yeah, in this movie, he's just the cop figure because that's Jim Gordon is the name of the police commissioner in the comics, and so that's the name of his character in this movie. But he's not really a character in this movie. No, not really. Um. And you know, yeah, and so I think you these days you have Jim Gordon be that character who's investigating who is this Batman because that forms connection with the audience and that forms the connection with the two characters. And then also, you know, I think that makes sense. Um, you know, and that probably would have made this a slightly better movie too. Yeah, but you know, to your point, if Gordon wasn't quite the character he was yet, and you know, the utilization of him in this and the subsequent movies in this franchise, his role doesn't get bigger, as I recall. Um, I don't believe it does. 
you know, if they, they maybe it was just a matter of they didn't think of it. It's the obvious move now, but right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, at the time, Gordon clearly was not a character they cared about when making this movie, mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily think that is a mark against the movie because it'd be a mark against the movie if they tried to to make him a big character and he and failed, you know, but they didn't try and that's fine. Yeah, no, but it does kind of throw you off watching it now because you're used to, you know, as you mentioned, Gary Oldman played him. (laughs) You know, they have like Jeffrey Wright play him. Yeah, part of of that movie too, you know, but here it's a, it's Pat Pat Hingle who's a great actor and everything, but it's just not, you know, they weren't going for big star here. Well, let's talk about, the big star they did go for and Harvey Dent. Yeah, that is one of the most interesting kind of footnotes in this movie. Billy D. Williams is Harvey Dent. Um, it's sort of this unfortunate thing where you expect him to be a bigger part of the movie because he's in like one of the first scenes and you're like, holy shit, it's Billy D. Williams, it's Lando. And, this is, and then you don't play an really iconic s- villain, right? Yeah, and you don't ever see him again. And then well, he's never in another movie, even with right. the new. Well, and he, he does show up periodically in this movie. And I think I, if Billy D. Williams did come back as Two Face in a, in a sequel, it would have been kind of cool that you know, he's just kind of in this movie in small bits periodically. Right. But it's awkward because he doesn't come back. You know, they recast him as Tommy Lee, with Tommy Lee Jones, and I'm not even sure it's supposed to be the same character in the uh, sequel. Yeah, continuity in the two halves of this franchise, we could probably do a whole podcast series <laughs> on cuz I'm not I I have no I have no clue. I have they are they are a quadrilogy except they're not, except they are. <laughs> and this is maybe part and parcel of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what a what a wasted opportunity cuz yeah, the way his role is structured in this, it's like a Marvel movie now where they kind of cast the villain like two movies ahead of time and they kind of just stash them right well so i'm gonna i'm gonna argue you said it's a marvel movie now but they did this in superman the movie they did this here in 1980 maybe it's just a superhero oh, movie you got, that you got me there superhero yeah, thing in the first movie yeah yeah right. and so i would argue marvel is just continuing the trend there or maybe they've gotten they've perfected it maybe or maybe uh, perfect it's a strong word but they've we- they've weaponized it they've I mean, weaponized part, it's part, yeah, of, they, it's part of the marketing now it's, like, it's part oh, of the marketing shit. now it's part of it jeremy renner's in thor or whatever right. like yeah right yeah but it's, it's always been there yeah that's fair because yeah. because there's such a so many stories so many characters for the the writers to you know and bring in and be inspired by and to take from it's just such a huge well that it's in it allows you to do that as a writer. You can, you know, even if you don't know the plot of the second movie, you know that, okay, Harvey Dent's this huge character. He's probably going to be in a sequel. Let's put him in this role. So I, I have to imagine the, the, the plan was, I think that was the plan at one point, but of course, you know, directors changed hands, studio priorities changed and um, that's how it goes. Um, you won't be surprised to hear that Billy D. Williams was um, not happy that the role was recast. I bet it's too bad. I mean, I don't. I've only ever seen him in Star Wars. I don't know how good of an actor he is, but I would have loved to see him have a shot at Two Face. What he has is just this effortless kind of cool charm mm-hmm. uh, in everything he does, and uh, <laughs> it's not. It's Billy. It's only related in that it's Billy D. Williams. Um, 
but it's a story I like. Uh, Donald Glover, when he uh, was cast in Solo, he was able to secure a meeting with uh, Billy Dee Williams to kind of talk about the character of uh, Lando. And Donald Glover, you know, of community fame and Childish Gambino rap fame, he came with all this stuff and like these binders and like these maps. And he's like, I don't know. Like, I always imagine like maybe Lando like grew up in this planet and this galaxy. Like he's a huge fan of the character and he knew all this stuff. <laughs> and then Billy B. Williams is kind of sitting across from him in whatever booth and whatever restaurant they're in. He's kind of just like looking around the room, looking annoying. Going, like, I, I, I don't know, man, just, just be charming. <laughs> and Donald's like, oh yeah, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he does he's just yeah. just just be charming and um you know even in this kind of a uh i don't say lesser role i mean but he's a presence the, the character of harvey dent's kind of a presence throughout but i think if you add it up to the actual minutes of screen time it would not come up to a whole lot no but he makes the, he makes the most of it he does and that's why it's also you know, it's also disappointing, you know, because he does make an impression. This movie, not a huge impression because he's not in it a lot, but he does make an impression as like the kind of a trusted public figure. So seeing him get turned e twisted and evil in a sequel could have been really cool. And uh, my guess is that when we go watch Batman Returns, it's just more of a case where Tim Burton was just more interested in Penguin as a villain, right? Or, you know, yeah. Um, and that happens sometimes. I mean, you know. Avengers one, the post credit scene kind of sets up like oh, Thanos next villain, and then he doesn't show up for a couple more movies. Like sometimes right. you're just like, you know what? I want to tell this story first, not knowing right. you're going to not get a chance at a, a third story. <laughs> right. Then um, breaks. Yeah. Is there any other cast member we've we've talked about? We talked about Tim Burton. We talked about our main principles well, here. Something we we haven't talked about and. Not a cast member. I, mean, I think that's most of the main ones. Um, but I would argue something that is a character in this movie in and of itself, even though it's not literally character, is the the score, the music. Great score. Yeah. Iconic I, I mean, score. Iconic. To and some I would agree, that, this is still the Batman theme to me. Yeah. Uh, it's for for years and it, it doesn't leave your head. You know, I mean, it's it sticks with you. It's iconic, and it's iconic throughout the whole movie. The whole score is, you know, Danny Elfman knocks this one out of the park. Oh yeah, this is this this is like a prime period for Danny Elfman. He does this and like the Simpsons theme, like pretty much like they both debut in the same year. You know, like this these two just like you could just retire off of that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, As of the recording of this, he just came off of a Coachella set believe it or not oh really I didn't know that yeah he's still he's still out there so I know he just dated this episode but it was relevant so <laughs> yeah no great score that's another thing I think um Batman movies have kind of lacked um especially since the Christopher Nolan stuff kind of relies on that Hans Zimmer kind of noisy string stuff which you know, it feels good when you're in a theater and you can kind of feel it in your chest, but you're not really humming any of it when you're out of the... It, it, um, yeah, it's good, it's good at setting a mood, but like, it doesn't stick in your head, like you said, or, you yeah. know, like this Batman theme does.
And you know yeah. what? It's a perfect, you know, here we are almost in 1990 and we've kind of, we have main themes for Superman and Batman and they're, they're both perfect for what the characters are. You know, John Williams is very like string heavy and uplifting and hopeful. Mm-hmm. This is something much more like, you know, I'm talking about like want to be grounded. This is very much closer down to the ground and, you know, well, it's, horns it's, it's, and brassy and right. It's dark, but it's bombastic, and I, I think that's a good way to describe this movie too. It's a it's a good marriage. You know what? I think you nailed it on that one. Um, another thing I like about the atmosphere of this movie, and I think the I think the movie score kind of makes it more cinematic. Obviously, because it's a movie score. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think if you strip it of that, if this were a quieter movie, this template that it sets is kind of what the animated series becomes, which for my mm-hmm. money is kind of what the, the perfect marriage of like Batman atmosphere is almost like noirish, kind of shadowy kind of feel, mm-hmm. which of course we're not gonna, well, I was gonna say we're not gonna cover, but um, stay tuned. There is a uh, movie set in the animated universe that was put in the theaters. So don't be so sure about that, but mm-hmm. um. You know, I just this movie. This movie did so much to kind of set up what Batman would be for, like, basically our childhoods until Christopher Nolan kind of, you know, made it something different for like our late teens and early twenties. And I can't, you know, for for all the faults of this movie, and there's not a lot, but there are some significant ones. I can't. I have this weird nostalgia for a movie that was released when we we were one. We were number one, but we grew up watching it. it it's fair. I, Actually, yeah, I grew up watching this movie. I had a novelization of the book. Of a novelization, <laughs> but I had a novelization of the movie. It's one of those things where it's like it's like <laughs> written out in book form, and then in the back it has like pictures of like the Joker. You know, hmm. yeah. So it, it's not it's not superior to the movie in any way, but you know, movies used to do that. <laughs> Right, I think they still do to an extent, but I'm not. I don't think it's as big of a market as it used to be. That would be great, like an Avengers novelization that must exist. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they made a comic book. Oh, almost, almost assuredly. Uh, do we want to go over some categories? Let's do the categories. Yeah. Okay, we can knock out a couple that I think kind of got mentioned throughout the course of the conversation. Um, again, my best moment is. Um, Bruce trying to uh, tell Vicky Vale that he's Batman. Just this perfect little comic moment that only Michael Keaton could have done. Yeah, I mean, that was really funny. That was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my, my favorite moment, I guess, really my favorite scene, I should say. And, you know, there, there, there are a lot, this is just a scene I think is just really well done, I think. And mm. it's when... Um, the Joker meets Vicky Vale for like dinner and like that, you know, he tricks her to go and saying he's Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think that's a great scene. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's well put together. I, you know, it's ridiculous. It's over the top, uh, but it, it fits. And then, you know, of course Batman comes down and, uh, but it's also really dark and disturbing with the thing with the Joker's girlfriend. Um, and yeah. Vicky, Vicky's terrified and reasonably so. You know, I mean, um, it's really not much she can do. She doesn't have superpowers or armor, and there's a whole bunch of people there with weapons. And Joker's just killed a bunch of people. I mean, it, 
she's reasonably terrified and rightly roughly so and i just think it's a i just think it's a great scene and it's always stuck with me that scene yeah so maybe nostalgia's part of it but that's the woman i'm thinking of the She's definitely in the movie. I don't know if she is this character, but I think Joker's girlfriend is played by Jerry Hall. Do you know who Jerry Hall is? I mean, other than what you just said, no. She, she was married to Mick Jagger for a long time. Oh, really? Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, so there you go. Oh, yeah, that was like, she was kind of known. I mean, she was known for a lot of things, but she was like the long-term partner of Mick Jagger. Oh. So there you go. There you go. I didn't... That would have. Uh, <laughs> if that ever comes up in a trivia contest, yeah. <laughs> make some money off of that. Yeah. Right. Worst moment. There's there's no like real. There's no like scene where I'm like, oh, oi, this is no good. But I think indicative of some of the story problems. Um, when they kind of establish like the Joker saying like I I always I always say to my victims they never dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? It's a good line, and they kind of bring it back, but I just, it's, I feel like he needs to say it more often. He kills a lot of people, and you never hear him say it, except for when he says it to uh, Batman's parents and uh, Bruce Wayne himself, who notably he does not kill, so it shouldn't even count. (laughs) Um, Uh, But he does try to. But I, I think saying it once more in the first act... Or yeah, at least when the first one. time with Joker. Yeah, I think that would have gone a long way. I, I hear you. Yeah, it just kind of felt like something they were like, oh, you know what? I know how we can tie these together. Why don't we have him say something to Batman and then he can, we can show him saying it to his parents. It's just like a little bit further. Yeah. What was your worst moment, Jimmy? Well, we, we kind of talked about this before, but the, the Joker dancing with like a drug Vicky on the balcony. Yeah. yeah. It just. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not that it was out of character for the movie. It just didn't work, I didn't think. It was odd. Let's see here. A moment we wouldn't see now. We've already covered that. Uh, doing the right. bat dance in the, uh, in the art museum. <laughs> uh, best use of superpowers. Uh, there's, there's a couple of good choices here. Do, uh, do you think the shield around the Batmobile counts? I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, so... Mine was just the Batmobile in general. What a great, you know, that's, there's a character we hadn't mentioned, the Batmobile. <laughs> it looks so good in this. It's, it's so iconic. It, it really is. And for my money, this is, this is the best live action Batmobile. I would bar agree. none. Um, it's, you know, it's again, it's ridiculous, but that's why it's so perfect. It's, it's great. It has all these like features to it, like you said. Like it can armor up. It can drop bombs. It has a huge like flame cannon coming out of the back. It's it's great. Yeah, and again, it looks like a car. I feel like in recent years, it's starting to be start. They're turning the Batmobile into like a military tank. Well, then that's what it was in the Nolan trilogy, right? I mean, because right. he he wanted a grounded version of Batman, and they basically gave him like a super Humvee, which makes sense. You know, I mean, I, I get it. I think that worked for the Batman trilogy, but I, I agree with you that it's, I think it's unfortunate that now that's what the Batmobile is. I prefer this Batmobile. Yeah. Because again, it kind of has one foot in the 60s stuff more than people like to say it does, but it, but it just, it looks so cool and it looks cinematic and it looks... It's just really cool. I it, it does not surprise me that they sold a bajillion toys of these. 
I want, I want one now. <laughs> you know, like literally, but yes. Yes, yeah. I, I, I want, want a toy. To I drive want around. that car. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that was. Yeah. So yeah, we're kind of in agreement there. I guess I kind of liked the uh, the way he catches Joker with this kind of the scrappling hook around his around his foot, and he kind of gets caught between his chop chopper and um, this gargoyle, and then um, kind of falls to his death. I guess that was kind of clever. That's more of a moment of ingenuity than a superpower. I guess for this is more of a gadget question this time around. True. Well, yeah, because Batman doesn't technically have superpowers, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's super rich, <laughs> as they say. Just I mean, he does seem to have an unlimited bank account, so. You know, you got to love it. <laughs> uh, best line. Well, <laughs> you may not agree with this one, but. Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? It is a classic line at like stripped of context, even in context, really. It's a good line. It's kind of like faux poetic, right? Mm-hmm. I just right. I just wish it had more story purpose. Right. Well, and of course, there's a Star Trek fans will know there's a great episode of D Space Nine called In the Pale Moonlight that is uh, named in reference to that line. Uh, see, I didn't know that. You're bringing the Star Trek knowledge. <laughs> You're filling in the gaps for me. Uh, mine is, you know, there's only a couple options in this, right? And mine is, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. <laughs> wow. Made mistakes. And then he had a... Now you want to get nuts? Come on. Let's get nuts. It's this moment of deranged um, insanity that they would not allow Bruce to have. <laughs> that's, that's what I like so much about this version of Bruce. I love it. Like he's, yeah, you know, him, this is the best way to solve the solution. Pretend to be right. crazy. Solve yeah. the solution. You know what Pretend, I mean? Yeah, just get out of the situation. <laughs> yeah. And trick, not trick, but force Joker to shoot him. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, it, it was great. It's perfect. Um, yeah, maybe not world's greatest detective kind of stuff, but an interesting man. Like I, I, there should be more Bruce's where we don't like quite know what they're going to do next, right? I, I agree. <laughs> Let's see, La- MVP. I guess I always feel like there's one extra uh, category that I'm not thinking of, but I guess well, we, we want to do in the course of conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, MVP couple options here but i'm curious yeah. to know who you went with I, you know, I, I think my mvp is pretty predictable uh tim burton it's same yeah i think i think you could have made a case for jack nicholson i actually think you could have made a case for danny elfman sure um Maybe but michael keaton. yeah you can make a case for michael keaton but i i think for me the this is a tim burton movie this is a, you know it's it it goes well with batman i think the portrayals of batman and joker are very good in it but it's a it's a Tim Burton movie first and foremost, and you know the the strengths of this movie, you know, in part because you know Tim Burton's the one who put it all together. I think. Yep. No. Uh, in total agreement. I think the big strength and success of this movie is the atmosphere and the tone, and just the and allowing the feel. allowing the actors to to breathe and and perform on the camera too. I think is, you know, he. He doesn't try to constrain Jack Nicholson at all. You know, what I mean, he right, he, right, and you know. So I think I think, you know, even though Jack Nicholson is great in this movie, that's why Tim Burton gets the MVP. I think. 
Well, and, you know, a lot of those casting choices were made by Tim Burton. Like, Michael Keaton was a Tim Burton selection, and it was a gutsy one that paid off. Right. And, you know, this is... Oh, and also, well, we'll get into this in Lasting Effect uh, on the genre, but, um, you know, kind of made one of the first one of these movies that had, kind of had to deal with, like, a fanboy backlash early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll get into that in a second. Yeah, no, there's lots of worthy competitors, but when you kind of look up, you look at the stats and you look at the eye test, it's Tim Burton. It has to be. So that's that. Lasting effect on the genre. Uh, I don't even know where to start. Um, <laughs> it's it's monumental. Uh, people who are a little older than we are can probably tell you like this was like the summer of Batman, summer of '89. Like you couldn't escape it. It was like the coolest movie. Um, I'm actually surprised. We'll get into this as we kind of get into the next season. You're almost surprised there aren't like four Tim Burton Batman movies. Like this is something they they would have locked him into like a long term contract. Now, like he wouldn't have made anything else except like superhero movies. <laughs> the industry is just so different. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I think you know I feel like it took Hollywood a long time to realize how profitable superhero movies could be. I don't think they didn't quite trust the success of even like the profitable ones for very right. long. True. Um, and I think, um, you know, I think even if you look at right now and not right now, in 1989 when the movie was made, the, the superhero movie genre was kind of dying. Absolutely. You know? Um, and so I think the, the biggest impact this had was reviving the short lived at the time, but dying superhero genre, you know, and of course someone in, you know, Warner brothers was like, okay, Batman superhero movies can be profitable to bankroll this and have a huge advertising campaign. But um, nonetheless, like Superman was, was a dead franchise at this point, especially which is shocking given how popular the 78 movie was. And then, you know, I also think this movie, how, how successful it was, does, launch the 90s superhero movies we get and of course um you know we'll, we'll probably talk about this once marvel movies start getting made but there was this huge bidding war for marvel properties in the 90s as well sure. and so even though it took a while to really get going i think this is the movie that really launches the superhero franchise obviously superman the movie was huge but there wasn't a whole bunch of superhero movies made after it, where there were a lot of superhero movies made after this one. Yeah, the number of uh, possible choices for episodes are going to uh, increase so- somewhat exponentially from here because, you know, we were on a run of just like Superman movies for a while. We did, you know, looking back, we did you know, Swamp Thing and uh, you know, stuff like that. But, yeah, but, but even Swamp Thing wasn't like a huge release. Right. Yeah, and you know the, the marketing aspect of it. I mean, you know, t- you know, toy tie-ins and like fast food tie-ins have all become like ubiquitous because of this movie. Uh, you know, obviously, Superman was a huge hit, but I don't. You know, there wasn't like McDonald's Happy Meal toys connected with Superman. That's right. not the case with Batman. Um, so I think that's like a big. <laughs> That's a big change. And like that's still going on now today, of course. It's just it's right. a little different as the advertising landscape changes. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it should it should be noted like um the eighties was kind of the, the decade of the action figures 
being a big thing, right? Absolutely. I mean, there was a whole bunch of cartoons based off action figures. You know, He-Man was a TV series, Transformers. <laughs> all those started as toys and then became media franchises. And so um, the, the fact that someone realized, hey, we can do this with superhero, it probably should have dawned on them a lot sooner than it did. But this is the movie to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to that end, I think they probably dragged their feet on it because they were thinking this was going to be, you know, Adam the Adam West comedy show again. Right. And in that sense, this movie, for better or for worse, I would say at this point in time when this movie came out, I'll say for the better, reclaimed a tone for a major superhero. Yeah. Uh, and that's a big deal. Um, it is. And I think this, I don't know about lasting effect, but I think it introduces something that is not going to go away from this point forward. Certainly not now with the rise of Twitter and social media. Uh, part of making a superhero movie is kind of having to mitigate fan <laughs> expectations and backlash. Uh, we mentioned a couple of times, it cannot be overstated how unpopular of a choice Michael Keaton was when it was first announced. And of course that's a, major theme for all actors playing um, Bruce Wayne nowadays, except for maybe Christian Bale. I don't remember anyone having a problem with that, but you know, people were like the guy, Ben Affleck or you know, the guy from twilight. And of course now everyone loves both of those. You're going to shimmer in the, in the light. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to glisten. He's going to uh, burn. Uh, ooh, maybe a vampire Bruce Wayne wouldn't be such a bad idea. Mm. <laughs> It's, it's, you know, they really, really did have to kind of market this and they, you know, they started taking like a two minute or maybe even 90 second trailer to like convention, maybe even Comic-Con and just kind of show people like this is, this is, this is going to be cool. Like it's not going to be, you know, this isn't going to be Cesar Romero with his mustache <laughs> so painted over like we promised. And, but they really, that was for the first time, you know, you could, you couldn't just make these things in isolation and just release it like, you know, variety and the trades were becoming really, really popular in the eighties and nineties. And that's going to become a major part of making blockbusters from here on out. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. of course, the rise of the internet is going to be a big part of that too, but it was already happening before the internet, like you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And it'll be really interesting when we start getting into like the age of the internet. Cause what's that like? Maybe it's like a, they get like the Spider-Man movies or something, maybe even X-Men. Yeah, it'll be interesting because obviously the internet came around in the middle of the '90s, but I'm not exactly sure when. Yeah. When you really, how how much is it going to start affecting superhero movies for a while? Because it's at the point now, and if this were a Star Wars podcast, it'd be it's like fan like fan reaction can like literally craft what happens in the next movie at this point. Right. Um. But here, you know. Maybe not so much with superhero movies, but I think definitely like movies can start crafting moments to kind of play in on internet jokes, like you know the Juggernaut being in X Men Three, which is a reference that's probably ancient to anyone younger than we are. <laughs> yeah, um, not not nearly as funny as we thought it was at the time. <laughs> no, even at the time, I was like, oh yeah, this joke's done. This they, they didn't need to do this. Yeah. Um, really, all that's left to do is a rate this thing. But first, we have an in-house professional movie critic. To, uh, ah, it's Leonard Malton's movie. Lenny's Day, Lenny's Corner. We need to get a theme song for him. 
Yeah, you know what? If I'm properly motivated, we'll insert a theme song for him right here. And uh, <laughs> everyone will hear it. So. Batman 1989. What do you think? I'm going to say this. four is his most stars, right? Yeah, it's out of four. I'm going to say four. I'm going to say he gave it four out of four. Let's see. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Two and a half. God, ooh, Lenny. <laughs> uh, oh, this is a very Lenny-ish uh, review, too. There's razzle-dazzle despair in this dark, intense variation on Bob Kane's comic book creation. But there's also something to skew when the villain, a particularly psychotic villain, played overboard by Nicholson, is so much more potent than the hero. Still, lots to grab your attention, including Anton First's Oscar-winning production design and Danny Elfman's terrific score. Prince contributes several songs, followed by Batman Returns. He's a hard. He's <laughs> well, although, you know that's something we didn't talk as much about. But you just point out the production design. I do think was great in this movie. Oh, it's beautiful! Again, it's done on these backlots. There's Warner Brother backlots. Um, Gotham looks great here. Yeah, it's kind of like this dark kind of. It's not always an aesthetic I especially love, but it's it's it looks so good here. Like, wouldn't you just love to like walk around? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, I agree. And um, but yeah, I think you know we'll going back to his review and suddenly we started talking about this this sense that like you know this movie is more of a Joker movie than a Batman movie. You do hear you do hear that echoed in Malton's review there too. And I don't know, I don't just watching it this time around maybe with the critical eye to that. I'm not sure how fair I think it is. Yeah. Again, I think, you know, Jack Nicholson was probably twice the star Michael Keaton was at the time. So I think there was just more eyes on him and, you know, more attention paid to him and it is a bigger flashier role, but I don't agree. Yeah. I, I also agree. I also doesn't, I also don't think it helps that again, the opening half hour is kind of devoted to how he became the Joker. So you get a lot of him up front. Right. I think on the whole, by the time you're at the end, I mean, I don't know. It feels felt like a Batman movie to me. All right. Uh, so what what uh, what's your rating here, Ryan? Uh, I'm gonna give this. What was the what was the name of the chemical company? Was it Ajax? Oh, I don't remember. It was Ajax. I'm gonna give this. You know, had we had done this like right after watching it, I might have given it like a lower score because you know, the expectations of nostalgia don't always win out. I remembered it being a little better. Talking about it, I'm a little higher on it again. I'm, uh, I'm going to give this eight Ajax chemical barrels out of ten. I thought this was pretty fun. This is a first in, in the Pop Culture Historian podcast. We have the same rating for the movie. <laughs> hey! Nice! Yeah, I know. I think it's really good. You know, it doesn't. It's not. It's not a ten out of ten. You know, no. but it does have its flaws. Parts of it have been aged well, but I think the strengths of it is so strong, they vastly outweigh the negatives. Here's a question for the future: Are there any movies in the genre that you think are potential ten out of tens? You don't have to name them, but do you think that there are any that could potentially be ten out of tens for you? Yes, but I, I don't know. I also think like. You know, it's, it's probably not a 10 out of 10 when you compare it to The Godfather. You know, so uh, we're not sure. talking about like yeah, right. 10 out of 10s for movies as, as a global thing. But as far as a 10 out of 10, so that's kind of also how I rank it. Like, t- 
to me, the best comic book movie is a 10 out of 10, right? Yeah. And there are some I do. I, I would put a 10 out of 10, at least, you know, maybe when I rewatch it, I'll be like, oh, maybe not. But, you know, um, yeah, there are some I, I do think I'd put at a 10 out of 10. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I, I, I grade things on a similar scale. Uh, Letterbox. I don't know if you use Letterbox at all. Um, it's the it's basically a site where you can like log movies and like you can write little reviews and you know give them star ratings if you choose to mm-hmm. do so. And you sometimes feel like a goon and you give like Doctor Strange two four and a half, and then you get you know you watch like a <laughs> a come and see and you give that four and a half, and it's like oh so those are equal movies to you. It's like no one one is relative to. You know, Russian war movies, and one is relative to MCU <laughs> movies. Like, you know, it's a sliding scale, everyone. And I uh, and I look back on the late Roger Ebert's kind of criteria of you can rate a movie based off of uh, did it succeed at what it was trying to do? Like, was it was it a success relative to what it was? So, if it's a great kids movie, if it's Paddington Two, that could be a four star movie. If it's a great, you know. If it's a great, you know, war movie, you know, Saving Private Ryan can be a four-star movie. It doesn't mean Paddington 2 and Saving Private Ryan are the same. Right. So, yeah. So, to answer your question, yeah, there are some I would say are 10 out of 10s. Yeah, I think so, too. I just, we'll see. I'm curious to see if they, uh, they pan out. You know, fantastic, you know, the Fantastic Four remake i think for instance yeah fan four stick obviously fan, fan, fan four stick i mean it has four in the theme already so <laughs> it's already starting to leg up <laughs> all right we should wind this down uh it's hard to leave because i think i had so much fun doing this ra- round of episodes we will have one more kind of a retrospective episode similar to what we've been doing with the doctor who stuff and we did this for uh our look back at the superhero serials uh it's time to, it's time to do the blinkies uh, I haven't really worked out how we're going to do this, but it'll probably be similar to what we do before. Best villain, best heroes. Best movie. Best movie. Yeah, we're going to have to work maybe, this maybe out. Maybe MVP, do... you know, MVP of the whole season. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, that's tough. Yeah. yeah it's going to be tough for sure, but um... yeah. we may have to swap out some. Ca- like best cliffhanger probably doesn't apply anymore. No, it doesn't. So I'll have to figure that out. Maybe best, best ending. Ooh, the best best team. Best scene, yeah. Sure. That's me tough. Yeah, but that so we 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 have a week to figure that out. All right, we're a tight we're a tightly run ship here at Pop Culture Story. Are we also gonna do? Yeah, we should do worst movie as well. So, oh, although I, I think everyone knows what my worst movie is gonna be, but it's a, yeah, there's only a couple categories really. <laughs> um, there's only a couple of contenders. Ladies and gentlemen, if you liked anything of what you heard here, bless you. Uh, like and review us on your podcast of choice. You can follow us on Instagram at Pop Culture Historians Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at PC Historians. Uh, and stick with us next week. Uh, words of wisdom. Ooh, I uh, per <laughs> what I do every week. Um, I uh, I spent zero seconds coming up with this. Oh, um, I got I got one for you this time. Oh my goodness. This yeah. is Pop Culture Historians first. Yeah. Jimmy, take it away. If this isn't funny, you can just cut it. All right. <laughs> I never cut any of mine, so <laughs> you're, you're fine. Right. If you ever get the opportunity to dance with the devil in the pale moonlight, <laughs> don't. <laughs> Say no. Go home. Sleep. It's too late anyway. It's just, you, you need your rest. Yeah. It's just, it's, you need your, your rest. 
Yeah, that is much superior to anything I was going to come up with. So it's <laughs> a good note to come out to end on. Good night, everyone. Good night.